You're listening to Inside Acting. To find out more and make a donation, visit InsideActingPodcast.com. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 113 of Inside Acting. My name is Trevor Elgott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And on this podcast, we interview actors and writers and directors and filmmakers and agents and managers and casting directors and producers. Oh man, voiceover artists, personal finance gurus, life coaches, you name it. Uh, we, pie shop owners. Oh, pie shop owners. Yeah, there you go. Um, we have on the podcast and we, we, we um, just kind of sandwich these interviews with us kind of talking about our journey and stick it out there on the internets for free for you. And if you couldn't tell already, if this is your first episode, that we are just two dudes with a podcast, (laughs) that is the case. It's pretty informal. So we don't uh, pretend to have all the answers. So if you'd like to get in touch with us or put in your own two bits, which, by the way, is 25 cents. Did you know that? I did know that, actually, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that a weird thing to... That's a weird fact to know. If you'd like to put in your 25 cents, um, you can get in touch with us. Best way to start doing that. Find out how to do that is at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. That's right. And on today's episode, we have, um, we kind of put out, put it out there that we had a very, very, very cool special fanboy, uh, Trevor fanboy guest um, that we were going to put out in this episode. But we um, just got back from that interview, and it was uh, really epic, and we're going to take some time to... Um, sit with it and edit it and make sure that it's uh, nice and polished and perfect for you. So we're going to switch up the order and actually bring you part one of our chat with Lindsay Hollister, who's an actress who's had a, uh, a unique career and has a lot of unique uh, unique perspective to share on her career and also has a kick-ass thrival job. We talk much more about it in the next the thrival job part in the next uh, part of the interview, but uh, make sure you guys stick around for part one coming at you in just a bit. Hey, it's been a few hey. weeks. <laughs> you sounded so fatigued just now. I, I am, but there's yeah. a good reason for that. It's a very good reason for that. And uh, I, I, I feel like I want to share what happened while we were away, but like it was, it's so much. And yeah. I want to like take up time. Well, we you know. got time, dude. We're just starting. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Well, you know, obviously, you listeners may have noticed we went on a uh, a bit of a hiatus. Just a brief one. Two, 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 two weeks. Two and a half weeks. Not bad, considering yeah. circumstances. We yeah. handled it well, I think. Um, yeah, I uh, uh, I had a, a family issue come up yeah. and got to fly at the last minute to Australia. It was very strange because I felt um, out of the loop and it happened so last minute. I didn't really have a chance to like set things up back here and everything. And I emailed my manager to kind of relate it to acting. I, I emailed my manager before I left and I said, you know, I need to book these days out. And I got an audition for like the day before I was getting back. Hmm. <coughs> you know, and it was one of those things. 
and I'm going to talk about the project that I'm working on right now, but it was the casting directors from the same project. Oh, right on. So I'd already known that I like booked the office and that they really enjoyed my work. Yeah. But what was crazy is um, my manager was watching what was going on very close, closely, and they cast it. They had a, a pre-read and a producer session, and they cast it. Something must have happened with the offer because I ended up getting an appointment for the day after I got back. How about that? For the same role. So I was like, wow, this is really w- like meant to be-ish. Yeah. This is really strange. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, but I went in and, you know, um, jet lagged as hell and still, you know, did, I did a great job. I thought, and then I ran into the casting director at the uh, company kickoff for the show that I'm doing. And, um, she said I did a great job. So, you know, it was all great feedback, but just a really crazy, uh-huh. you know, situation. Like, you know, we always joke about it, but it's true. Like you want to, you want to get an audition book of vacation book a book a flight to book anywhere a flight anywhere yeah exactly yeah. and then well, i'm glad you're back man i hope you got some of our healing vibes we we're a lot of us were sending you guys some, some love yeah we did we felt it for sure cool. so i appreciate that um wh- what was going on i was so disconnected i have no idea what's happening <laughs> and, and i feel terrible i have no idea what's going on in anybody else's nice. life while i was away uh, yeah, you know, I had, I had a good couple weeks. I mean, there wasn't a ton of activity, um, but, uh, well, I guess there was, I mean, uh, kind of cool news. I booked, uh, now I've booked two audiobooks through acx.com. That's right. Yeah. Um, as, as part of my kind of learning, my kind of evolution as I, as <laughs> that sounds weird, my kind of voiceover evolution as I learned all this content, teaching David's class, David H. Lawrence, the 17th classes. Um, I came across ACX and really kind of pimped out my profile. And you remember that, that, um, that, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, a podcast, but I recorded like a sample of an audio book or an ebook that I had downloaded and I threw it up on ACX.com and I got a couple offers. Well, one of the offers, uh, that I initially got, I couldn't take because I had to be part of some special Amazon program that, that they were doing and they needed some sort of special credentials that I didn't have. But that author remembered my profile and uh, had another book and she contacted me for that. And I ended up booking that and it's going to pay quite nicely. It's going to pay for all my bills and then some this month. Uh, and then I also booked another kind of shorter novella type thing that I'm going to be reading uh, uh, this month as well. And it just, it was pretty cool and it, it pays well, you know, I mean, these are per finished hour projects. There's a couple different ways to get paid with audiobooks. Yeah. So these are per finished hour, which means you do the work once and you're done. Mm-hmm. The, the kind of, the kind of gold mine, uh, what's not the right word, but the kind of, the, what you really want on ACX is per finished hour plus a stipend, which means that, uh, Amazon will actually pay you, uh, like per finished hour. Plus you'll also get a cut of the sales of the book. Wow. So, and there's different ways you can go about, you know, gauging whether or not this is a project you want to take on based on the Amazon sales ranking and mm-hmm. reviews and things like this. All stuff we go over in the class. But I, I booked two of those, so I'm excited about that, venturing into that world. And uh, I was thinking about it, and I was like, that's kind of the ideal uh, thrival job. You know, it's pretty sweet. I work from home uh, on my computer doing acting stuff, mm-hmm. but like on my own schedule. It's a generous deadline. It's generous pay. It, it um, If they pay you a certain amount, it can funnel right into your uh, health and um, pension with the union. Oh, wow. So it's I very, and it's very easy to set up. Like if setting up a profile on Twitter is more difficult than it is to <laughs> set up a profile for ACX. 
so so that's cool. Um, what else? I we, shot. We did we did talk about it on the podcast because we were because we after we came back from the retreat and yeah, yeah Michael yeah. Hansen was doing it and that's right. You know, you, you we did talk about it a bit before, but that's yeah. Are these your first gigs? These are my first audio full audiobook gigs. Yeah, so awesome! Congratulations, yeah, man. That's, it, that's super cool. It's cool, and I've I've you know the authors that have contacted me have had some really nice words to say about the samples I posted. So that's cool. Uh, and then I shot some scenes with the, the guys over at Rapid Reels. You know, they have those dedicated actors. Yeah. Yes. Um, they've, they've been calling me in quite a bit, and I'm having a blast shooting with these guys. They do amazing work. And they do. I get a chance to be in front of the camera again and, and do some, you know, I'm always kind of just fighting to see how honest and truthful I can get. And I had a really great scene uh, that they wrote um, with one of their clients, R- Rebecca, that I was able to shoot. Um not last week, but the week before. And it was just, it was just great. It was just the kind of stuff, the kind of material you were just like, Oh good. I don't have to like, there's no acting involved. I don't have to pretend that I'm, I don't have to pretend anything, you know, everything's between these two people. And I was able to, um, just kind of play with that. And I had a lot of fun. And, uh, last thing, um, been making really good progress on my, uh, swimming web series. Have I talked about this on the show? You have, but not the progress that the progress that you've been making. You've been talking a lot about in your new um, uh, email that you're sending out. The Sunday Dispatch, yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah, I stole yeah. from uh, the guy who wrote that ebook that I originally put the ACX thing up with. I, I stole his. He has a Sunday Dispatch as well, and I was like, I'm stealing it. You know, I totally <laughs> took it. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I've been writing uh, um, this swimming web series, and I've set deadlines for myself, and it's coming along pretty nicely. In this case, a deadline is a really nice forcing system to kind of squeeze the art out of me. (laughs) What's it like working under a a deadline Uh, as a writer? (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, it's it's good, you know, because I I think I would take years if I didn't try. And and I made sure I told everybody, (laughs) you know, I'm going to have a draft. By this date, I'll be sending it to you. And, you know, so... There's a lot of people waiting for something. Cool. Um, so I want to talk about this gig that I booked, but I think we're running out of time. So maybe we save it till. Can you next give us the short? I forgot to ask you about that. Can you give us a short version? Oh, it's all good. I um I I'm just I I'm I'm just present to the fact that there's a, it's a it's a bit of a story, like how I booked it and what's going on with it and how it's awesome. And I'm not being paid, but it's one of those gigs where you like do it because of the relationships you're going to create in doing it, and mm-hmm. um, paid in other ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The dividends in, on this job are going to last me, I think, the rest of my career. Honestly, yeah, that's not an exaggeration. Um, awesome. I, I, I booked a musical. Uh, it's a musical workshop. I'm actually in it. Um, one of our listeners is in it. Yeah, uh, Carissa. Carissa, yeah, who yeah. called into the podcast or called and emailed, I think. Yeah. Um anyway, uh she's in it and uh I'm in it and uh some other uh really great folks are in it that uh I mean, there's a guy in our show who's like a pop star from the 1980s or 1970s. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's like it's crazy like the <clears throat> intersection of talent in this show is redonkulous. Is this stuff that you can't talk about yet? Um, well, I guess I can now. The press release is supposed to go out today, and we're not going to publish this episode until tomorrow. 
Uh-huh. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Okay. We'll talk about it more when I talk about it, the audition process and everything in the next episode. But okay. um, it's a it's a musical workshop. Um, well, it's oh. a musical based on the 1988 cult classic black comedy Heathers with Winona Ryder and yeah. uh, I, I knew Christian it was a, Slater. A movie. I knew it was like an 80s movie. I thought yeah. Kevin Bacon was in it somewhere. <laughs> no, he's just six degrees. Anyway, uh it it's it's been in development for about four years and the people that are involved with it are just the highest i mean i'm literally in the room with i'm 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 learning songs from a tony award-winning composer i'm you know sitting i'm you know he's co-writing the the stuff the book and the lyrics and everything with a an emmy-winning you know producer like the i'm the level of talent and connection and and you know industry folks that are involved here are like ridiculous and i can talk more about it you know in the next episode but um i was at rehearsals that we're doing music rehearsals up front and i sang my face off for like seven hours today Hmm. and um to you know, learning learning music, learning Same music, yeah. learning music, which is why my voice is a little tired. And in kind of your upper register, yeah. <clears throat> yes, yes, I'm singing mostly first tenor, which is yikes. It's I mean that's my voice. That's where I like, I can hang out there. Um, but it's it's just a lot to be learning the whole the whole yeah, show. Yeah, you know. Um, but it's great. I'm having a great time. It's a lot of fun. Are you? Uh going to be taking precautions with your voice i mean naturally you will be but i mean do you anticipate this being a strain i need to get more sleep first Uh and foremost i'm still jet lagged yeah i mean that's been part of the problem is that i'm still jet lagged and i've i've found it challenging to get to sleep before 4 a.m it's like a 10 hour difference or what is the difference between 15 one way and nine the other (sighs) it's insane so i've been up till like four in the morning i get to get more sleep but yeah i mean I'll, i'll be you know um uh, one thing that, that a lot of um, novice, I guess, singers, people who, you know, like I, I'm so grateful that I, this is why I'm grateful I went to school for musical theater. Because I, you know, I can read, I you know, I don't quote unquote read music. Like I wouldn't be able to look at a music sheet and play the piano, but I can read the symbols on the page. Right. So I know what they mean. One thing that I think a lot of singers fail to do is cool down after a day mm, like that. I never thought about that. So, because they're muscles, yeah. they're really, really tiny, fragile muscles. Your vocal mm. cords. So, <clears throat> I warm up on my way to rehearsal in the morning in my car, and then I cool down when I leave. Uh-huh. You know, so between the combination of singing for as long as I did and not getting a lot of sleep is why my voice sounds the way that it does. Um, but I am, you know, taking care of it and, mm-hmm. you know, doing all of the, the stuff. Well, one thing I admire about you, dude, is you are not afraid to stretch yourself and challenge yourself. I feel like I, so often you are involved in pro- like, Oh yeah, we can do the war cycle. I can have like a huge role <laughs> in every play and we can do all three plays in one day and I'll memorize each part and do, like when you did that I was like dude, superhuman and you just keep ending up in situations where you're just like stretching yourself and stretching and stretching and I admire it and I, you know, I know you can handle it and I can't wait to see you overcome yet another intimidating obstacle, but but 
Well, you it's know? the only way we grow. It's you how know? you, yeah. It's the only way we grow. Because I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, there are people in the room who read music and like, there's this one woman in the show who's just like super talented soprano, and she, she doesn't even like need to. She gets the she gets the line, the soprano line once, and she's got it down. She's got a pat. She sounds awesome, and she never messes up. Hmm. Hmm. And I'm like, damn. And then there, are, you know, some other people who are like. Um, uh, you know, need to hear a line over and over and over and over and over again to get it to get it down. And I'm like, I that used to be me. I'm somewhere in the middle now. Wow, you know, so like, your ears being trained. Yeah, and it's been a long. I, I can't even remember the last time I did a musical too. Wow, is the other thing. So, well, you did. Um, well, I guess it wasn't technically a musical, was it? It was a play with music. American Misfit. Yeah, I didn't sing. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't sing. I think the last musical I did was probably like The Wasps, yeah, the which wasps. was like three years ago. It's a while ago, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so stoked and so excited, but, you know, it's intimidating. I'm sitting on yeah. the other side of the, of the piano from a Tony Award winning composer learning, like, and there's choral parts in every single song in this uh-huh. show, so we're just like constantly, constantly, you know, work, 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 and it's awesome. I love it to death, but it's a lot. It's, yeah. It's great. Well, you belong there, man. Thanks, buddy. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Looking forward to coming to see you again in another. <clears throat> just, I just, you're nonstop. I love it, dude. I love it. Shall we? We got some listener stuff. Yeah. yeah, we got an awesome email from a guy named Keenan uh, who's been listening to the podcast for a long time. And um, man, the, <laughs> the title of the email was Warm Fuzzies, <laughs> like the subject line. <laughs> yes. And man, there are like it, there are some warm fuzzies in here. So we won't repeat them here. But thank you, Keenan, so much for the uh, for the validation. Really, it's really just. I don't think I'll ever get tired of hearing that this uh, this little thing we do really adds the value to people's journeys. Yeah. Uh, and then he says, uh, later on, he says, I'm trying to break into this industry in a major way. And after listening to you guys talk about creating your own work, I spent some time thinking back and I remembered an idea for a short film that I had a few years ago. Uh, he wants to get it made. Uh, but the biggest problem he's running into is that he has pretty much no idea where to start. Um, and he wants to see if he can find someone to help write it, someone to direct it. He's looking for crew. He has no idea uh, where to start. And he feels like the pickings are slim in his area and in his kind of network, I guess. Well, he taught, you know, he talks about the, the small theater community at the university, the U of A. I uh-huh. wonder if there's like film classes at the local university. You reach out to some, some I, film students. I, I think so. And you know, I, I feel like, I, I almost want to ask him if he, or I'll just speak directly to you, Keenan. Hi, how you doing, dude? Um, I, I, <laughs> He's you, here now, but have you asked? I mean, how many people have you told about this, uh, about this idea? Um, because I, I've, you know, obviously we're in LA, which is kind of a hotbed of creativity for, you know, it's kind of like the entertainment capital of the world. So you could throw a rock and find like a million people, hit a million people even that are ready to work on something. But I feel like even in small areas like that, if you just say the words, I'm making a movie, 
people want to get involved and people know people who know people who know people. And, you know, like Mark Gant talks about the circle of 100, you know, you know, 10 people who know 10 people and mm. somebody in that hundred is somebody that can like make serious shit happen for you. So, I mean, when I first read this, that was my first thought was just like, um, just start talking about it. Talk about it to everybody that you come into contact with. And not only will you find a lot of people who are passionate about working with you, I'm sure, because I'm sure it's a brilliant idea and I'm sure he's excited about it, but also people that have connections that can make things happen for you. That's, that's, that's how donor came together. I didn't know who, how the hell that was going to get made. Well, yeah. And, and there's so many ways to do it. I think Ryan Sage, I mean, didn't he use like Craigslist to find a director for, or or something like that? He posted, uh, he said he wanted a script. So many people submit scripts because he wanted to make a movie. Um, and you know, there's, there's books on it. I'm thinking of, um, uh, rebel without a crew, you know, yeah, Robert Rodriguez, that Robert Rodriguez book, you know? Um, I mean, there's like, there's a, there's a ton of resources out there if you really don't know where to start, but then, you know, I, I, I agree with you, Trev. It's like, you know, start putting it out there. What's your plan of action? Like, you know, cast it in your mind using like, you know, a, a list, B list celebrities so that you know what, like the people in it look like right. and with you in it, you know, and sort of like we were just talking about visualizing it, yeah, putting yeah. it together, you know, start scouting locations, just start doing anything and everything that it's going to require. Cause you're going to have to do those things anyway at some point. So you might as well get started on the <laughs> things that you know. Yeah. You know, but yeah, <clears throat> yeah just start re- reaching out to any, any and everyone. Anything else for uh, uh, Keenan? I mean, there, I mean, we could talk for days about you know software and camera packages and sound and lighting and all that stuff. But I would start by just by putting the word out and seeing who you can get on board, um, you know, with your idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, we also have a voicemail. Uh, my name is Angelo Gonzalez. I'm calling you from Wichita, Kansas. My question is about having. Uh, thrival job, whether is it good, at, uh, let me just say this, I'm new to um, pursuing an acting uh, career. Um, anyways, I want to know if it's good to have a couple part-time jobs or is it possible to have a full-time job while you're pursuing an acting career? Yeah, awesome, awesome question, actually. I mean, one of the simpler questions, but also one of the more um, kind of crucial questions when it comes to how to approach your career, because essentially it's a, it's, a, it's a question of priorities, I think. I mean, what's your take on this right off the bat? Well, you know, we, 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 we've talked about this in coming at it from different, you know, viewpoints, different aspects of the thrival job situation. And, you know, what we always have come back to is like, just make sure you're taken care of, you're set up, you know, you're, you're, you're living. And what I would add to that is just make sure that whatever is allowing you to live is not keeping you in survival, Mm. you know, that you're surviving life while you're trying to, you know, have an acting career, right? Um, Because that's not going to serve you at all. You're you're Everything just, suffers, yeah. Yeah, your your acting suffer. is yeah. The art itself is going to suffer. You're going to suffer. You're going to be miserable. It doesn't make any sense. So you get to thrive, which is why 
I think it was you. Did you did you coin that or? I think it was uh, this guy down the hall, Ben Whitehair, Mr. Ben Whitehair. I think I think I heard it first from <clears> you. <throat> yeah, thrival job as opposed to survival job. Yeah. Um, that's the first thing, and then the second thing I was going to say is if if it's really what you want, if you really think that acting is what you want and you cannot do anything else, and that is what you want to do with your life, and you are passionate about it and you want to make it happen, then it's really about doing whatever it takes. Yeah. And I and I and I've said it multiple times. You can go back and listen to her episode. But Porter Kelly's example, where she was just like, "I have an audition." And they're like, "Oh, well, you can't go." And she's like, "Okay." And she just went back to her desk and started packing her things. Yeah. You know, it. That's there's a level of commitment in that that says that you're serious about it. You're willing to do whatever it takes. You'll go and find another job. You know, because you're willing to work hard to do that as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that people are just scared. I was. I was terrified to leave uh, uh, Apple yeah. when I did. You know, I quit to to go and do an acting gig, which was awesome and supportive. But when I came back, you know, I had a choice. I could either go back or I could figure it out. Yeah. And I figured it out. Yeah. And it's been over a year now. It's been mm-hmm. a year and a half. Yeah. You know, and I started my own business and, like, you know, started um, making money in the industry in other ways and... It's just to me, it's about commitment, doing whatever it takes, yeah. whatever it takes, and what you want to add to that. Yeah, well, it's it's so interesting because there are this is it's kind of a double edged sword, you know. Like if you can find a gig that's flexible that will allow you to go on auditions and will give you a, a flexible schedule for shoots and things like that, or you find one that has a set schedule so you can rehearse every night and then have your weekends free to do the shows you want to do if you're doing 99-seat theater or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of... It, it comes down to what you want, I think, for your career. You know, if you want to be a commercial actor or a, a, a TV actor, then you want to have your days kind of flexible and open. But if you want to do theater, typically a steady day job is great and you only need to have your nights open. But, but you know, I mean, then you've got the whole, like... This was something that I ran into at Apple. You know, Apple was great. I loved working for Apple. Mm-hmm. I love the company. I still think about going back to that job sometimes because it's fantastic. Yeah. It was flexible, uh, at least to a point, <laughs> as I learned the hard way. Uh, but, you know, the, the kind of bad part of it was, and I think we've talked about this, it was kind of the golden handcuffs, you know? Mm-hmm. Great 401k plan, great health benefits. Uh, I had guaranteed hours as being paid a really great hourly rate. There was a lot of room for movement and advancement within the company. Why would I ever leave that? At one point, I looked up and I was an assistant. I was essentially an assistant store manager of that store for like a year or two. I was a key holder, but I was doing all the stuff assistant managers do. And I, I kind of was like, I didn't. Why am I doing this? Like, I didn't come out here to be an assistant store manager, but I didn't want to leave. And I, I, if I hadn't been kind of let go from that job, I would still be there today, wondering what the hell I'm doing working a job that I have no intention of mm-hmm. pursuing like as a career because it just becomes easy. So there's that whole Sylvester Stallone thing where he just refused to work because he knew that if he got to a comfortable place and I'm kind of doing air quotes, comfortable place, whatever that means for you. Um, but for him, it meant, you know, being able to pay for his heating bill and you know, stuff like that, that he knew that the hunger inside him would die mm-hmm. And he would just kind of get comfy and then nothing would ever happen with his career. And so he forced himself into that place where he had to go to the library during the day just to get warm. 
And I don't know how his wife stayed with him through this. I, I have a book on my table that I kind of took from a previous roommate. Uh, but it's, it's called The Rocky Scrapbook. And it's Sylvester Stallone's story in his own words of, how, of his journey from pre-Rocky all the way through that movie. And it's really fascinating to hear it from his mouth what it was like. Mm-hmm. So there's that argument, too. You know, it's like, yeah. well, maybe I should just work well, a bunch of... guests... Yeah. Talk about that same thing. I mean, uh, the first time we interviewed, <laughs> interviewed Blake Robbins, you know, he told that story about his wife, you know, I'm pregnant. So now it's like, you know, yeah. either you make money doing this or you stop doing it. You know, I, or that's how he felt. I, she may have said the words. I don't know. But I, that's certainly how he felt. But his intention, I think what happened was his intention got so clear in that moment that, you know, it, it was like a week I think he said something like it was like 10 days later he booked Oz or something like that. It was crazy. Yeah. You know, something shifted for him. Yeah. It was like, well, I get to make money doing this or, or not, or stop doing it, you know? And there's a lot of people in, there's a lot of people in these big markets like LA and New York and that are constantly working and you have no idea who they are. Yeah. You don't know who they are. You don't know their name. You've never seen them before. But they're, you know, I have this uh, friend I ran into her. I, th- I don't know if I talked about this on the cast. I ran into her at an audition and I heard her talking to somebody in the room who was not an actor and not involved in the entertainment industry. And he was so curious as to how we made our living, which I don't blame him. <clears throat> and she was like, I just hustle. I do whatever it takes. You know, she was like, I've modeled. I've, uh, I've done commercials. I've done, you know, producing. I've done... Yeah, this I've done that I've da, 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 just like talking about all the different ways and she was like but as long as I'm making my money in the entertainment industry that's what I came to here to that's do that's a win yeah you know I love so. that I love that yeah what are you willing what are you willing to do are you willing to do whatever it takes I love that um, so hopefully that helps Angelo I know that wasn't kind of a clear cut answer but I think it does come down to kind of what your vision is for your career and, yeah. and your life and yeah that's right really and what and uh, what you're willing to do. Um, and this is not to say that the perfect full-time full benefits career path job is out there that will allow you to 100% pursue your acting career as well. If it's out there, awesome. Like grab it and but, never uh, let go. Yeah. Because it doesn't have to be. And I, I love that, uh, Ben actually clear, um, puts this really well. He says, there's no credit extra credit for the struggle. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be this awful, grueling journey, pushing a boulder up a hill, pursuing this, this, in, you know, working in this industry, pursuing your craft and your dream. It doesn't have to be that. It can be blissful and abundant and awesome. Mm-hmm. In fact, it should be. We make it hard because we think it has to be that way. Yep. Um, so, you know, going into to this next part of your life here, you know, uh, maybe put that in your back pocket, I guess. Get clear. I wish I had that when I started out. Yeah. It would make things a lot easier. Anyway, um, yeah, thank you, Angelo, for the question. I uh, really appreciate it, dude. Thank you for calling. Shall we? Yes, sir. All right, then. Part one of our chat with actress Lindsay Hollister. Uh, I'm going to let uh, the interview do the talking. AJ couldn't join us for this one, so we have a, co- a special guest co-host, uh, Ryan Basham. And we uh, introduce him as well as Lindsay uh, in just a second here. So enjoy this, guys, and we'll catch you on the other side.
So, hey, everybody, welcome back. Uh, it's Trevor here, sitting with Jen Levin, our production coordinator, and a very special co-host, Mr. Ryan Basham. Well, hello. Uh, Ryan was a guest back on episode 90 I think it was 90 Yeah, something around there. Uh, and Ryan uh, is sitting in with us for this interview, which I'm very thrilled about, um, with Lindsay Hollister. Thank you, Lindsay, for being here. It's awesome to have you. Well, thank you. Uh, Lindsay is an actress, and I just learned that she also owns uh, a restaurant. Yes. Would you call it a restaurant? A bakery. A bakery. It is a restaurant, but... Okay. Sweet. Yeah, and and Lindsay's got a a nice long list of credits on IMDb, and she's worked a lot in in Hollywood and uh, has a unique perspective, I think, on on how this industry works. And what we like to usually do is kind of start at the beginning and get a feel for what your journey's been like, what kind of brought you into this industry, what was the first kind of thing that kind of, you know, triggered triggered that, that impulse to kind of try this out. And then uh, pitfalls and victories that you've come across. And, oh, yes. And I know um, nothing about pitfalls. <laughs> nothing at all. At huh? all. Never had any snags Shifty or snack eyes. foods. <laughs> and, of course, Ryan knows you well, so I'm going to definitely be leaning on you, Ryan, for... You can lean on me the, whenever uh, you want. ...for the good stuff. So, Lindsay, uh, give, us a, give us a quick overview of, of how you got from basically birth into, <laughs> into this crazy industry. Well, that's a long journey if we're going to go from birth. I was a C-section. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I, so I was always uh, a fat kid. Like when I was since the second grade is the first time I remember being made fun of. I look back at pictures and I was, I'm like chubby, right? But growing up in the Midwest, there's always something I think that you get picked on for. So I think I was always searching for something to get like subconsciously because you don't think about it when you're a kid, but... Just to sort of be good at or to, you know, pull the focus off of the fact that I was, you know, just like a fat kid who got made fun of every day growing up. So I got into high school and I had been interested in taking theater. They had built a brand new high school in my community and had like a state of the art, like theater was beautiful. Um, And I, so I ended up taking a class, you know, introduction to theater class and in the fall uh, we were doing a Neil Simon show called Rumors. I don't know if anyone's familiar with that show. It's just great slapsticky comedy. And it just happened that there was a character role of Cookie uh, that was super right for me. And I ended up reading it in class, volunteered, you know, to read it out loud. And then I auditioned and got the part. And I mean, from that point on, really, the short version is there was no looking back because it was where I, I mean, it was it just like fit, you know, it's like finding your home and it was so natural mm. for me. And I went from being made fun of to making people laugh. So there was like a shift. I mean, I still got made fun of, of course, but there was like this sort of shift, I think like with the kids I had grown up with, like, Oh, like she can make us laugh. Like she's pretty funny, you know? Mm. And, um, it was just magical to go on that stage and, and 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 do that, you know, so people could see there's, you know, you had like this talent, you know. Did, did you just kind of like on an impulse, just kind of audition, or, or was acting something that was kind of in your brain for a while? Not at all. I like. I think it was more, like I said, more subconsciously. Like it was always there. Like if you look back at my child, I was an only child, and my parents had taken me to New York when I was young to see the show called It's Magic, and all I remember is that there was like a unicorn on the show, awesome. or, and like. I was that unicorn for like a year. Like I, would, I, I learned to gallop before I learned to run. It was super embarrassing. Like That's my mom amazing. caught it like at a 
at an elementary school basketball game that I was galloping. So she oh my gosh, I did the same thing in basketball. Sorry, I don't galloped. Yeah, I did, but that's all those stories. No, that makes so. me feel less alone. That's amazing. <laughs> that's why how I found out I was gay. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so if you gallop, kids, you're either gay or you're a future actor. Those that's are the right. only two things. <laughs> Sometimes <Or> both. <laughs> then you're really yeah. in trouble. So I, I mean, I think like I said, like the proclivity was it was always there. But mm-hmm. I, I think like I was in music. I was in band. So I was in a creative sort of. I, I always played an instrument. I was in marching band. So I got into high school, and, and I and our marching band was like a 350-person band. Like, it's serious in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like it wasn't ner- nerdy. I mean, people are still going to say, like, yes, it is nerdy, but the popular kids were in our band, too. So, but, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I just think, like, I knew I was interested, but I did, like... I didn't. That was my dog, by the way, not me. Because that got picked up. <laughs> so sorry. People are like, "Oh, she snorted throughout this thing." Um, you know, I just think once, like, it was just natural. It just it felt completely normal to me to be on that stage, and it was like finding, like I said, like finding your like your voice in a way, as sort of you know cheesy as that sounds Mm -hmm. it was just like oh this is what i'm supposed to do and you you remember having a moment that was actually like oh got it this is my yeah this is kind of in alignment with who i am i i do i think like so in this play uh rumors by neil simon which i suggest anybody read or go see it's probably not done that much anymore but it is fun my character has back problems because of course we're all like you know 13 playing adults, (laughs) you know, old age makeup. Um, And there's this moment where my, this character cookie is like slowly getting up from the sofa and there's supposed to be this bang and she falls back down like a gunshot. So I'm on stage full house of people and I'm slowly standing up and it's not coming. It's not coming. The sound is not, you know, this gunshot's not coming so I stand, I fully stand up and I go, I just started improv because like, what else? Like, it's all up to me. Everyone else is like deer in the headlights, you know? Mm. And so I just started improv some lines, got myself off stage, got off stage and started like, you know, waving around, you know, like the, you know, whispering, what the hell, what the, well, maybe like, what the fuck? I can't remember back then. And, um, and I, uh, and I just like, that was the moment where I was like, so even in this moment where something goes wrong, both of the guns were, did not go off. Like I still, I, you know, I went back on, kept improv and, and like I said, like, it just is like, where does wow. this come from? It's just like a known thing to do, wow. you know? Wow. So yeah, it was never a question. I did more, I did more shows in high school and it was, when I started looking at colleges, I was just looking at theater colleges, but I always like, I always like to say that, the biggest thing, though, is that my parents never questioned it. Uh, I was going to ask about your parents' support. Never. I mean, I didn't even... Like, I feel like if my parents had doubted me, that I would not be where... You know, like, maybe I would have gone off in another direction. But for the, for them, they were like, okay, so let's start working on monologues for aud- college auditions. Like, wow. they never once said, do you really want to do this? Like, should you do this? And that's... And I went to school with kids whose parents were like, you know, you're not going to do this. Like, you got to get another major. you got to do something else. And guess what? They're not doing it now because it wasn't 
encouraged or cultivated or anything, you know. Yeah. And I and I go back to my university to teach. Uh, about once every other year to teach on camera acting and there's like some of the most talented kids and they sit there in front of you and they're like yeah no my parents don't want me to do this and i'm like well you could be i'm like uh, i'm like you could be a disney star right now like i could you could come to la and you would be like the next corbin blue you know like this kid and he's like no they don't want me to i have like i have like two other majors and like their focus is pulled you know because they're majoring in a bunch of other stuff and then but their heart is in theater so I did not realize it at the time or for years later how amazing it was that my parents never put that on me, never put that doubt. Right, right. Where did you go to school? Um, A university in Ohio called Miami University, Miami of Ohio. Mm. Yeah, kind of known for Ben Roethlisberger. Went there, really? yeah. Oh, okay. It's a very, it's, it's a very old institution. It's sort of like the crown jewel of the Midwest. It's a big fallback school for kids who don't get into like Ivy League. But uh-huh. um, yeah, it's really great. It's a beautiful school, and um, and some you know pretty well known people come out of it. Even like sports star, you know Wally Zerbiak. He was like a basketball star for a while. I think he played for the wrong person. Not looking at you, Ryan. Not looking at you. Um, anyways, there's some like you know well-known people, but it's a great, it's a beautiful school, and it's and it's really great. But it's like a, it's a liberal art, arts college, so um, you know a lot of these kids will go and they'll have you know they'll be able to minor in theater, look into theater, but they're majoring in other stuff. So, mm-hmm. anyways, I that was uh, that was the journey of how. <laughs> how i you know came out here based i mean like went to i went to school and i have a bfa in theater because i knew i wanted an education like an, a college education there was no question about it either you know it was like that's what you do mm. you you go to college yeah you know yeah so and then i always knew when i was in college getting a theater major that i wanted to be in la because i was a character actress and i couldn't sing so why go to New York? Because there's nothing that I could play until I was like in my fifties. There's just nothing in like the canon of work. Right. Now there's been like newer, better. I mean, there's been things that have been written for younger character actresses, but like, you know, at the time it was like, no, I mean, I'm going to get, I'm going to have my training, but I'm going to go to Los Angeles. Like I always knew. Wow. So it's definitely like 90% naivete. I think, uh-huh. you know, like I always say, like if I, knew then what i know now i'm not really sure what i you huh. know like uh-huh. you have to come out here with not a doubt in your brain especially now let alone in 99 having said that though i mean since you've been in la you've been in some of the most memorable series on television i mean yar my name is earl so how long was it bef- between when you got here and when you booked something one year about a year and yeah, three months. Yeah, I remember reading that on your bio, and I was like, oh, she's one of those. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that could happen now, though, guys. I think it's, it was, uh, you know, it was definitely, I mean, I always like to tell, like I said, when I go back and I, t- and I talk to, like, students, like, don't ever put a time limit on yourself here, because if I had said, like, one year, then mm-hmm. I would have left three months before I booked Boston Public and yeah. got Taft Heart lead and did four guest star episodes of like the hottest show on television at that time. Wow. Cause that was like, that show was like yeah. the show that was like as big as any other thing going on. Cause it was David E. Kelly. And, um, in the early two thousands, he was still making television. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> and, um, 
And, you know, I would have, I would have missed out if I, you know, people say, oh, I'm going to give it a year or whatever. Yeah. We, we hear that over and over in the podcast. People always say, don't put a time limit because the minute you do that, you're, you're done basically. It's a deadline to fail. Yeah. It's a deadline to fail. But then I've, then I've heard stories about people like this one chick who was in the Superman movie. She had set herself a deadline and like nine we we actually talked about it on the show. I forget. There's a link that we posted on one of the episodes, but like she she gave herself a deadline, and then she it ended up being kind of a forcing system for her, and so she actually ended up kind of like going full tilt and then booking Superman right before she was supposed to quit. Yeah. So I, it's I, interesting. I think that's the exception to the rule, though. I think it is too, but it, it's interesting to see that occasionally. It works. Yeah, there, are, there are no rules, right? Well, I heard it about like my like one of the, the girls who booked like a really big thing over me, and I was like, "Damn it! Why didn't she just go? <laughs> that sucks. I wish that she had left. like she was yeah. almost ready to leave." And uh, yeah, so those it can work not in your favor, right? <laughs> and you're like, if it's your nemesis, then hopefully they'll leave. But yeah, I mean, otherwise, don't you know? I think it's, um, you know, I think it's one of those things where. If, if you know time feels right, you never want to force anybody to stay in Los Angeles. But I would never ever put like a hard you know out mm-hmm. because you just never know what's going to happen. I mean, the for Boston Public to come along when it did was just you know incredible. So I was like, really, my journey is completely reversed than most people's. Most people spend their first five to ten years struggling, getting like a co-star here or there. You know, like trying to build credits. I like right out of the gate was like guest star, guest star, guest star, guest star. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, was a regular on Days of Our Lives, you know, like more guest stars. And then now at the like, so everything in the beginning, like now I'm struggling more at the end, you know. Than mm-hmm. I was in the beginning, so I'm like, it's like I'm like the Benjamin Button of actors. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, yeah. Da- didn't uh, I think I read on your bio that David E. Kelly even submitted your name for uh, an Emmy nomination for for the consideration for, for yeah. consideration? Yeah, that's pretty huge. I mean, that was, that, and really that was your first gig, yeah, out of here. Yeah, you I mean, know, that's, that's just who 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 does that happen to? I mean, <laughs> congratulations. Well, thank you. I mean, I, yeah, it's. I mean, unfortunately, with like Emmys. For guest stars, it's never, like, true guest stars. That It's always, like, famous people who are guest starring. I think names who get nominated and win. Mm-hmm. But I would love it if the Emmys would really do, like, the unsung heroes of television. You know, like, all those people you may not know their name, but they're, like, right. working actors that um, really do some amazing work on television. But the guest star Emmy is sort of, like, a, you know, a star fucking kind of thing, you know? Hmm. So we can cuss, we said? Do we say we can yeah, cuss? I heard that rip. somewhere, yeah. 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 It really is, though. And not that they, like, it's not that the names aren't doing good work, but it's, like, you know, I really think it would be, can you imagine, like, a guy who's done, like, 30 guest stars and no, you know, he's not, like, you know, a name or anything, but he gets not, you know, does like a five episode arc on like the good wife and gets nominated when, you know, like where would that do for his career? Like mm-hmm. Cloris Leachman does not need another fucking Emmy. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, I mean, maybe in her mind she does, but sorry, Cloris. <laughs> but you know, I mean, like, I just like that idea of like what that Emmy could do to somebody's career that it's not doing for like, I mean, who's won it a million, million times? Others, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's always like, you know, people who like is they're just adding it to their collection. But again, who am yeah. I to say? Huh? Yeah. yeah. So take us through the the. I think you came from a, a scenario that feels like a weird word for it, but a situation that I think that I know I came from, and that a lot of our listeners came from, in which. You know, you tried, you, you kind of fell into theater at a young age. It went really well. You felt like it was a really great fit. 
you went to a great school, got a degree in theater, and you moved to L.A. Take us through that first year before you booked stuff, and what was going through your head? What was what was the journey like when you first got out here? That's a great question. I It was amazing. I would go back to the beginning, because in the beginning, there's no expectations. No mm. one... You don't have any expectation to book work. There's no pressure. So my first year, I got an agent really quickly. Um, I submitted like hard copies. I mean, I'm, guys, like I've been here long enough that my first headshots were black and white. Yes. So, I remember the black and white headshots. Yeah. So um, old school. I'm starting to feel like an old man over here. I know. <laughs> I mean, thanks to the IMDb, like it does, everybody knows how old I am, so it doesn't matter anymore. So... I mean, my bloodshots were black and white, and I submitted to agents. And I, my first agent had uh, Sarah Rue. Uh, he was on a show called Popular. Yes. Um, and she's lost a bunch of weight now, but we kind of looked similar. So he was, you know, like, hey, why not? Because especially like with the young character, like character actresses are so were so hard to come by back then. Now there's just a lot more in the game, but like back then it wasn't as many, like he didn't, no one had any of my type, like many women of my type, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. the fact that I was like 22 and I was still playing high school. I mean, I could play high school. I looked like a baby. So the first, so I, I signed with his agent like three months after I got here. And I mean, again, everything happened for me really, really fast. Um, but don't be jealous out there, listeners, because I've had my fair share of, like, trauma and tragedy and heartbreak and everything after, you know, like, it's mm-hmm. not like it's been, you know, totally like a, you know, easy downward, you know, sort of slide. But in the beginning, it kind of all did fall into place. And um, so the the biggest thing that we were going for was my, to get my SAT card, because I did not have my SAT card. And I had actually, like, they, he had, they had submitted me for, like, a co-star on some, like, this was at the time would have been WB um, show called Special Unit Two. I can't believe I can remember that. And I had actually booked it, but then they were like, "Is she union?" My agent's like, "No, it doesn't say so on her resume." And they're like, "Well, we can't. We're not going to tap to her for a co-star, you know." So they were sending me out for things, and you know, things were going really well. And it's like I just remember, like, I—I I mean, how can you not love it? Like, I was out here, I was away from my family, like I, I lived by myself. I ate like Del Taco like probably every night. Yes. Like I know that was a pro- that put on like thirty pounds in the first like six months. But like I, you know, like it was like that freedom because I'd been in school and had been structured my whole life. And I just remember like I wanted nothing. I said to my parents, "I will be somewhere substantial in this business in ten years." Even though again, mm. I didn't, shouldn't put like time on it. But I was like, you know, give me like ten years or whatever. And I just remember feeling like every day it was like the hope of what could be. The mm. hope is amazing, mm-hmm. you know? And um, and especially the fact that I knew I was in the game and I was auditioning. But I remember like when Boston... I remember getting the audition for Boston Public. And I said to my agent, well, it's a guest star. And he's like, so? And I'm like, well, I'm not union. He's like... And I remember him going, well, he, they're just going to have to Taft-Hartley you. He was very like crotchety and old and and crotchety, and uh, but I was like, oh okay, you know, like that's not going to happen, you know. So like, because I was doing extra work too to try to get my side card, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I think like when I went into auditions in the beginning, like I said, there was no expectations of me, and there was I could just sort of do what I wanted to do, and um, and you know, like I said, this opportunity for the show came along. I remember like being there in the pre-read down at Manhattan Beach Studios with Laura Schiff, you know, and 
like it went really well and they're like hey do you want to stay around for the callback and I was like so I remember being excited but like like excited for auditioning where now I'm not excited anymore you know it's more of like 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 I said it's like I don't want to say it's like a chore because but in a way it's just completely changed from the way that it was because it was like because now it's like I'm expected to book work uh-huh. I'm expected to be right. doing something people have those expectations of me like every time i walk into a room i'm expected on the first read to have a complete full character that they want to see and if i don't meet those expectations you know it's a thank you and goodbye i mean the industry has changed greatly you know but also i think like having you know credits and stuff they they expect that of you and sometimes i'm not a monkey some i don't always like you know, for the first read, I give the best read. You know, I still get nervous in rooms and I still have, you know, a little bit of anxiety and flutter, even though I've been doing this for 13 years. Hmm. Because it's, because auditioning is such an unnatural process. It's nothing like when you step on set, it's two completely different entities. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but in the beginning, I just, like I said, I don't even, I mean, I did what I wanted to do. And, there was I, I just like I keep using that word. I just remember just being like blissful, like almost like euphoric, because it was like there's the dream. Oh, the dream's happening, and like this is amazing because it's so much easier to try to start like you know a career than to keep it going to sustain it. Sustaining it is like ten times more yeah. difficult. It's like starting a fire with a match. And then, like, having to, like, keep it going with just, like, kindling and, like, your breath and, like, some twigs and shit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really (laughs) really common, I think. that I mean, all all my creative friends have a million projects they've started. And, Mm -hmm. like, very few of them have actually followed through on. I think it's it's pretty tough to do. And that's really... I had never thought about how it might change as you book more and more work. And you walk into a room and there's all these expectations now. Oh, yeah. And you're now playing a, a different demographic than you were. I mean, Absolutely, it's, it's, uh, that's and you're not getting second chances anymore. I mean, that's like, I mean, we can talk about that a little bit later, but that's like the biggest thing that I've noticed is like when I first started acting, like, like I would walk in. I always made strong choices. I'm a character. I've been trained to do that. Like I, you know, like I've take chances hmm. and build a strong character, and then you know I presented, and then you know so many times I'd be like Lindsay, that's great. Now let's just try it like this. And you would have another opportunity to read. Now it is give us your best, give it to us on your on the first take, and if not, you're done. Thank you. Goodbye. I mean, like I just had a friend go in for like one of the biggest comedies on television for a part that she was so right for, and she has a ton of guest stars and film, and she was pre-reading and. Which I'm, I'm only bringing that up because it's not like she thinks she's beneath it. In a way, she is, but she still went and did it. But what I'm saying is, when you're going for a pre-read, you have more of an opportunity then to have the casting director work with you. So she started the scene. He stopped her four words in, and was like, "You're projecting too much." And it was like super negative and like mm-hmm. really jarring because you know when you start something, you know, a scene, you're kind of in it, and then to get stopped right. is super sort of interruptive to the process as like i said that may sound lame but it is because you're kind of in that mode so she did it again and there were supposed to be four scenes or they were supposed to prepare two and then do two more 
if asked. He didn't ask her, said thank you, left. So, of course, she knew, like, this is not good. So, the feedback that came back was, yeah, she did a good job. It seemed, um, I'm trying to think of the word, because she sent me the the email. Um, she seemed, uh, uh, what's, oh, man, now I'm telling the story, and I'm going to forget, like, the adjective, but it was basically, oh, defeated. She seemed defeated? Seemed was defeated. the feedback? defeated. And of course, she was like, of course I was defeated. You stopped me. You gave me negative feedback Mm. and then didn't let me do it again. Like, you know, like that's the kind of stuff that's happening in room. That was a pre-read. He should have let her read it, redirected her, let her had another shot at it, and then said thank you. Like, there's no camera. There's no producers. There's not like, you know, what's two more minutes of your time, you know? So that's the kind of stuff... Uh, sorry, I was telling somebody else's story that's like super fresh in my mind, but it happened to me actually. Like, I went in for a series regular, and it was with a casting director that has put me on like four major guest star shows. One was a direct offer for Top of Show guest star. Awesome. Yeah, so she, like she knows me, right? So this is my. I'll, yeah, this will be good. I'll tell my story, embarrass myself. So I go in for a series regular, and I read the script like it was for a lifetime. I can tell you that much. And it didn't get picked up. I can tell you that much. <laughs> Sorry for the maniacal laugh. <laughs> it's about I, to get good. I read it like Desperate Housewives. Because this is a show that's not on the air. Right? So I, I, it's not like I can watch it. Right? So I read it. To me, it read Super Desperate Housewives. Right? Like, so they were, you know how they, they were a little bigger on that show. Like, a little bit more slapsticky, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, just a little bit, you know? But it's, it's not like it was like law and order you know the difference between these yeah it was like Mm -hmm. heightened right so i did like the you know i did these two scenes and it was one of those things where you needed to be you know asked to do the third she was like okay Lindsay, let's do the third which i was like great and i do um and she's like thank you i'm like so good to see you like i feel like it goes pretty well and the and i felt like a part there was a part that was right for me and like literally the feedback that came (laughs) back was Lindsay is not ready to be a series regular like, I was, like, too big. I was, like, what up? And I was, like, whoa. Like, what? Like, why? Like, I can do this 15,000 different ways to Sunday. Yeah. I, that was my interpretation, like, of it. I can bring it down. Just, add, like, say, bring it down. Don't have me do three scenes. Mm-hmm. Stop me after the first scene and be, like, look, this is not as, you know, this is a little bit more, you know, there's a million things you could say. Yeah. show's not as broad as you're you're playing it. Let's narrow it down, you know? Do you think it would make a difference or would it even be appropriate for you to walk into like these sessions from now on and say, hey, I would love for you to give me direct, honest feedback right away so I can adjust if it's not working for you? I mean, would that, would they, do you think the casting directors would even be recep- receptive to that? I, no, I don't know. Because I started doing, because again, we're talking about how the industry has changed. Like I absolutely, for the first half of my career, could always count on getting the redirect them adjusting me if mm-hmm. I wasn't quite on because and again that didn't always happen because they're, if, if you walk in and you're just not right for it they're not going to waste anyone's time but again when you're going up for roles that like they know you like and they know your work they know your yeah. work like you, then you should have a shot at it like you know but like again if you're going in for stuff that they don't know you they've brought you in just to sort of like you know throw spaghetti at the wall and seize it with sticks um but like so i so what i started doing was i started saying after i got finished would you like to see it a different way Mm -hmm. that's what i started doing because i i need you to know that we 
this is our we're actors we can do it a different way wow and i don't think they're getting that i wonder if they're just conditioned by a lot of actors out there who can't do it a different way I don't know. I think that I do think that yes, like it's like well, let's not waste the time because that was not near where we were, or it is the um, what I do also think is the other thing. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. I think they're seeing so many people now for roles. Uh-huh. Like when you used to go to producers on a guest star, it was like five. I'm going to producer sessions where there's 15 to like 25 women. In wow. Films. Why do you think that is? Because I feel, I, first of all, it is not an actor's market. Actors are desperate. Actors will do anything for work right now. So they can kind of see the town. And so I've been hearing that they've been like, mm, they're good, but let's, who else like, can we see? Mm. Have we seen everybody? And it's like they want to see everybody. You know, I, I, when I had booked a, an independent film called Sweet Talk, yeah, I just watched the trailer for that. Two, oh, so today. good. Yeah, it looks, oh, I'm looks so really proud cool. of it. It's a really, really cute. Now, Natalie yeah. Z, who's on like Under the Dome, and she was in Justified, and she was on that Kevin Bacon show. She's a star of it, and she's amazing. And um, I had auditioned for, there was a role for like a bigger girl who's like, they're, like Natalie Z's character and this character are phone sex operators. And... Um, so it was, you know, like one of the leads, but it was like, you know, it was like maybe like four days of work, you know, on an ultra low budget film. And I had the casting directors made me pre-read, which was fine. You know, of course it's all like phone sex scenes. So you're like in this, like, you know, room doing this with the casting director. Then I went to callback with the director and the producers. And then two weeks later I had a second callback for this film. And, um, and all of it was totally worth it because it was amazing working with these people and it was really fun. The film is beautiful. Like I've seen it at festivals and it's just really great. Well done for like this $200,000 film. When I talked to that, the premiere party, when I talked to Sunny Bowling, who's the casting director, she said that she saw from this role over 65 girls. I was like, where did you find 65 fat girls in this age range in this town? Like I didn't even, there would be 65 like, uh-huh. that's crazy. Like, where do these they come from? Because especially with character actresses, it was such a small category. Like, you knew everybody. And now it's, I was like, 65? You pre-read 65 people and, like, 20-something went to callbacks? Like, that's a lot. That's like, a lot, that, yeah. That never used to be that. It never used to be that especially way. Especially for a... a- ultra-low budget film. Yeah. An indie film. Like, yeah, $100 a day. Kind yeah. of, you know, like, yeah. I was like, where did they come from? Wow. I mean, I couldn't tell you 60, like, you know, like, it's, I know a lot of the women in my category. I see them. I audition with them. I'm friends with most of them. I Like I said, I was, like, shocked that she could even find, like, that many. Wow. You know, so they're just, they're just throwing, it's like, um... It's like the real estate market. Like right now, it is not a buyer's market. It's a seller's market, right? Because the interest like rates are kind of low, so everybody wants to buy. So if you have a house, there's no and there's no inventory, right? So that's how it is. Like in Hollywood, it's like actors will do anything. I mean, like you know, we're all desperate for work because the industry has changed so much. Like you have so many TV star or you have so many movie stars doing television where they never do it you know like every yeah, name kind of has, pushes everybody back pushes down a notch everybody down a notch that's yeah. what I try to explain like because my dad my like 7 year old 70 year old father in Ohio is like why don't you have your own show he doesn't sound like that at all but like doesn't <laughs> like 
they don't understand you know like why yeah. i'm like why I mean, why would I have my own show when, like, there's, like, a person with a name that has a show? And, of course, all everyone, like, producers and networks, everything is so writing on, you know, success. Like, they're going to, they're, they're getting names, like, ten people deep, yeah, you know? Hello, fine listeners of Inside Acting. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed part one of our chat with Lindsay Hollister. That chat was mostly about her journey and kind of the state of the industry in many ways. Um, And we really get into some some more kind of, I don't know, meatier stuff or grittier stuff uh, in part two, as well as a very special kind of segment that we recorded uh, at her restaurant slash coffee shop slash pie shop bakery. Um, sampling some food and hearing her talk about what it's like to kind of run that that business uh, in parallel with her acting career. So it only gets better from here. It's some really good stuff coming. So um, excited to bring you that next week. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what is your pick of the week, dude? P.O.T. Dubs. Um, my pick of the week is... A l- it's a little depressing, but... It's very important, and it just reignited my passion for taking care of humanity, taking care of the planet, taking care of each other. Um, it was a film, <clears throat> that, a documentary that I watched on the plane, either to or from Australia, um, called Chasing Ice. Um, it's I actually available it. yeah. on Netflix, Netflix um, yeah. and... Um, yeah, it's on it's on uh, Netflix and I think it's yeah it's on iTunes as well, um, and <clears throat> it is about there's this really amazing um, photographer nature photographer named um, uh, James Baylog and I I've seen his work before actually it was really crazy seeing him and some of the pictures that they show in the documentary because I. I had seen his work at this um, gallery here in Los Angeles uh, called the Annenberg Space for Photography, which is a beautiful... If you're in LA, you should go check it out. It's amazing. It's like a little gem in the city that's just so um, awesome. It's it's just a whole space where they just show all kinds of different awesome photography. And they had a nature one there, and he's very well known for taking just the craziest pictures. He, he wanted to photograph... Um, giant sequoias, but couldn't figure out how to get like the real, you know, scope of how large these trees were. So he strung cable between two other sequoias and then like wheeled his way out there on some climbing equipment and then hung between two other sequoias so that he could take pictures of a third one. Uh, without any obstructions, any other trees in the way. And he did it at different levels, and he ended up comprising this fo- this one photograph that was made up of like a hundred other photographs oh, so that wow. he could really get the sense of the scale of a giant sequoia. Wow. So he's, he's just, he does amazing, amazing work. And he got really passionate about um, the, um, uh, the, the, essentially the polar ice caps mm. melting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went to Alaska, Greenland, um, and I can't remember what the third place is. And he just set up all these cameras that um, took one picture every hour um, for years. 
And what he was doing was documenting. For years? Yes, for years. And it's really incredible. And it, it, you just got to watch the film. It took a long, you know, just, it took a while to even get the cameras set up. And they were, they were having all kinds of issues. I mean, you can imagine you're setting up a DSLR in the friggin' Arctic. Like, it was just insane. Anyway, what he was doing was documenting the retreating, the, the retreating the glaciers. The yeah. glaciers yeah. And it's, it's really scary. I think that um, An Inconvenient Truth was one of the most amazing, like, in-your-face, like, this is a problem documentaries I've ever seen. And, you know, I think Al Gore did a really good job of balancing the sort of, you know, emotional with the statistical and the factual and his life. And I, I just thought that was a really well-put-together documentary. Chasing Ice is, like, gut-wrenching mm. because not only do they talk about the statistics, um, like the evidence of global warming in the ice cores, but they also show you like uh, these crazy images. And it's like, uh, you know, there's this one that's, that's just heartbreaking where it shows the retreating of a, of a, of a glacier for like over the course of a hundred years. And then it shows that same one retreating over the course of 10 years. And the 10 year is the most recent 10 years. And it's, bigger it's a bigger retreat than the last hundred years before oh my it God. they show how like it's it's quote-unquote debated in the in the media and he and he said one of the greatest like lines in the documentary is he says i think one of the the craziest things that's being like this trick that's being pulled on the on the on the global public is that global warming is still up for debate and i'm doing yeah. air quotes yeah. he's like it's not like the only people who are saying that's up for debate are like you know political pundits. He's like it's not the whole like scientific industry, like the whole scientific community is in alignment that this is yeah. happening. Um, it's great. They show a guy who like used to work for Shell Oil, and when he saw James uh, present about because James has done like TED talks and all kinds of stuff on this work. When he saw him present, he quit his like twenty year job wow. with wow. Shell Oil and dedicated. You know, he dedicates his life now to wow. essentially reverse stopping and reversing global warming. So, Oof. anyway, it's it's pretty chilling, but it's a really fascinating documentary. And like I said, to me, I found it much more emotionally impactful than um, an inconvenient truth, which I also enjoy. I really like that documentary, but uh-huh. this just punch me in the gut i i my stomach is kind of tied in notches just hearing you talk about it actually um it's interesting that you bring that up because that's been in my world this week too uh i found i came across an article that i think you know dig.com they're sending out like a weekly or i'm sorry a daily yeah digest now and one of the links they sent out this past week was a link with the title humanity is getting very close to extinction and I was like, okay, like how could you not read that? So I, I clicked on that, and it was all about uh, global warming and the statistics and and how it's affect it's going to affect uh, like our bodies physically, like this new the new climate and everything, and how it's happening already, and how you know even just a year or two ago we were working to avoid 300 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And we passed that, like we passed 400 parts per million, like in October. And so now we're just trying to avert, now we're trying to, now we are, we're optimistically trying to not hit 450 parts per million. And it's, it's just like, it's scary how quickly, 
And they said, you know, even if all of that stuff stopped today, if we were to magically come up with a thing and stop today with all that carbon stuff being put into the uh, atmosphere, like the residual effects of it would still last for decades, if not hundreds of years. Yeah. So it's, we're on an irreversible trend. It's now up to, can we survive and how many extinctions are we going to see? Uh, it's really scary. I think the next 25 years, uh, is going to be like nothing the human race has ever seen. What I appreciated about what, uh, what Al Gore did at the end of, um, and then giving you truth was he talks about solutions. Mm. Um, and they, they don't really do that in, in this documentary. They just say like, this is a problem. Mm. We need to do something. And, you know, he, James, like Al Gore says, you know, we could rise to the challenge. We could be the generation. Obama said that when he took office, but yeah. you know, it, it's like, yeah, we could. Okay. Now what? Like, what do we do? It's yeah. It's and, gonna take massive mobilization. Yeah. Like, yeah. like on a scale of like what we did for World War Two, when like everybody like just went and built tanks all day. You know, <sighs> like it's got to be like that. Everybody's like, got to go build wind, wind farms. Like yeah, like the men go off and do their thing, and the women like all drop drop everything they're doing and go make tanks and you know build you know make knit uniforms and stuff like that. So we'll see. We, we we shall see. Okay, I can't talk about this anymore. So uh, <laughs> fit, my my pick of the week is very fitting. <laughs> How so? Because it's a ghost story show. Uh, so we're all gonna die and, and we'll become all be ghosts. Ghosts. Okay. Uh, I the get show, it. This, I see. It's hard to follow chasing ice, but um, I just really been. Well, you this. made me go first. I know. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad you did because then it would look like a total like surface, you know entertainment you know junkie um but celebrity ghost stories on the bio channel the biography channel has been a guilty pleasure of mine the past couple weeks and uh it's just a cool story it's celebrities everybody from like regis philbin to joan rivers to marilyn manson to actors that i can't think of right now but that you've seen all over the place i think i saw fred willard on one episode yeah, like 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 ever, like wayne newton's on an episode <laughs> it's really random it, it's really cool but like they they tell their stories they basically are interviewed about their their encounters with the paranormal like with ghosts and stuff and some of them are like oh this creature pinned me pinned me to the bed and sucked the life out of me and and other ones are like my guardian angel like saved me from a car accident like but they're, you can tell these people are not making this up. And they do these reenactments that are sometimes cheesy, but a lot of times actually pretty good. And largely because the actors they find that play like the younger version of these celebrities are like actually really resemble the celebrities. Yeah. <laughs> I totally believe it. Uh, but it's, it's just a, it's a cool story, man. And you know, I'm a big ghost guy. I've had, you know, you know, we've talked about that. Yes, before, I do. But, but uh, so I, I'm, you know, I'm lapping it up, man. I'm lapping it up, but uh, link on the website, Celebrity Ghost Stories. Lots of uh, stuff you can stream online for free. So if you're, if you want to distract yourself from the end of the world, <laughs> uh, <laughs> check out uh, Celebrity Ghost Stories. Both both of our picks of the week are about being, super morbid, being terrified. <laughs> yeah. I oh, know. Geez. So let's lighten it up with the listener pick of the week. Yay! Uh, Save us, Justin. Justin writes in with offcamera.com, and uh, we just looked this up. And this is a pretty cool website. the The guy on the site, the guy, his name's Sam Jones. He's a photographer slash director. Little multi hyphenate. We actually thought about. When we first learned about him 10 minutes ago or a half hour ago, we decided, or we thought maybe we should have him on the podcast, but 
this guy describes uh, offcamera.com as a website, magazine, television show, and podcast. It's 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 just cool. It's basically uh, interviews and things with actors, but it, it spans several different mediums. I remember I saw an art or an interview with John Krasinski that was really awesome. That I think maybe Justin may have posted to our Facebook group at one point, mm, mm-hmm. um, and that's where that came from. But anyway, offcamera.com. It's just awesome conversations with people who've been there and done that, much like the podcast is um, in many different mediums. Yes. Yes. So I think that does it then for this somewhat long episode <laughs> one thirteen. We could trim it up. We could yes, trim it up. We trim can. It down. We shall. <clears throat> uh, anything else before we take a home stretch, it, brother man? All right. So for those of you listening who enjoy the podcast uh, and want to uh, you know support us, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Of course, you can be in touch with us first off and just get your two cents on the podcast. Check us out first on the web at InsideActingPodcast.com. And then if you feel so moved, uh, shoot us an email, InsideActingPodcast at gmail.com. Or, of course, you can call us at 213-2-ACTORS. That's 213-222-8677. And you can leave us a voicemail, uh, which we will play on the podcast to get your voice on here. In addition to supporting us financially, there's also, you know, the reviews, you know, leaving leaving uh, yeah. five-star reviews on iTunes. Big help. If, um, you know, if you don't feel it's worth worthy of five stars then get in touch with us let us know why what we can change what we can improve on and we're always open to feedback it's one of the, our favorite things we we take all of that in um and we take it seriously so yeah. we thank you in advance for that and of course you can support us financially by going to the website insideactingpodcast.com over on the right hand side you'll see a donate button where you can donate one lump sum of a bajillion dollars or uh, you can uh, become a patron of the podcast and donate in monthly increments which will um, give you the opportunity to send us a little pick and bio that we'll put on our patron page on the website yes indeed also while you're over there on the website uh, be sure to subscribe to our uh IAP dispatch, which is oh, our yeah. weekly our weekly email. We the have uh, you know we're right now it's just a standard kind of blast about the episode with show notes and things like that. But uh, we may be we may be leveraging that for other kind of cool stuff that we think will add value to your journey uh, come soon. So uh, go ahead and subscribe; it's free, and we're not uh, abusing emails or selling them or doing anything weird like that. We take that shit very seriously. So yeah, go on over and uh, sign up if you would. Um, and that is it. Yeah, for yeah, 113, that does it. So, wow, for 113, uh, for Jen Levin, our production coordinator, for Cesar Gamino, our, uh, pro- our technical producer, and for myself, Trevor Algott, and... I'm AJ you. Meyer. <laughs> <laughs> this sucks already. Uh, we'll see you next week. Is. Yeah, all right. I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, uh, save the world! <laughs>